0: Hey everyone, this is M. Black Writes, a podcast for people who love stories, and I'm your host, M. Black. Hello, happy almost December. I am really squeaking by with this episode this month, I know. It's getting worse every single month, but it was Thanksgiving, I was doing all sorts of fun stuff, eating all sorts of yummy food, playing a million games, I just... It is what it is. It's technically still November, so I'm still, I'm still okay. It's, it's still November. You know what? So bite me. (laughs) So I'm gonna make this intro really quick because this is, this episode's like really story heavy and really like segment heavy. I have like some segments I'm going to be doing before each story. So I'm trying to make this intro super quick because I don't want this episode to be really long. I like to keep them about an hour. But I'm going to give you a disclaimer before you get too far into this episode. Uh, most of my episodes are usually uh, uh, fairly fairly squeaky clean for the most part. If you're listening with your children uh, to this episode, I am just going to warn you there are some lower tier swear words that are going to occur several times throughout this episode. Um, also, I, we, I mean, a lot of the movies are PG 13, so uh, maybe you can just think of this episode as PG 13 because I'm gonna be discussing some things that happened in the movie. So if you don't want your kid to hear that, or if you don't want to hear it, maybe just see you later. I'll catch you next month. Uh, but anyways, that's my disclaimer. I'm not gonna like mark this episode as explicit or anything because it's definitely not explicit, but if you are very offended by um, mild swear words or slightly alluding to adult things, then you're not going to want to listen to this episode. Just be warned. But for me, myself, I have loved making this episode. I feel free. Like, I feel like I gave myself freedom to just say whatever the heck I wanted in this episode. And I it's been nice. Like, I feel... I like it. Also, at one point, I hope I don't give you guys all like huge secondhand embarrassment. But at one point later, like I sing for two seconds and it's gross. I'm sorry. I'm just warning you now. It's gross. I thought about taking it out, but whatever. I left it in. You can hear my gross voice. I also want to make it clear that I'm not singing in a in a serious way. I was. I sing like five seconds of a song from one of the movies. I don't know. It just came over me. But please don't think that I think that I'm a good singer because I do not. I don't. I know. Okay. I do sing like all the time, though. I'm one of those annoying people who can't sing, but I sing about every single thing that I ever do all day long. If you watch How I Met Your Mother, there's an episode where Marshall sings everything he ever does. I am I am Marshall. I, I do it all the time. I'm annoying, I know. So for those of you who don't follow me on Instagram or don't look at my stuff on Instagram or whatever, I'm going to give you a quick rundown of what is happening in this episode today. This episode is titled New Scene November. If you follow me on Instagram, you had the opportunity to vote on four different movies that were going to be featured in this episode. For each movie, I am writing a new scene or an alternate ending for that movie. I also gave you guys the opportunity to contribute to what you would like those scenes to be. Think of it like you pop a DVD in, you go to the deleted scenes and alternate endings menu and you watch one. That's that's what these stories are today. There's four movies. There is The Princess Bride, The Notebook, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days and Twilight. Scene Selection Scene Number One Unemployed in Greenland, a fan fiction story inspired by The Princess Bride. Scene Number Two The Soldier. A fan fiction story inspired by The Notebook. Scene number three, How to Lose a Girl in Washington DC. A fan fiction story inspired by How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Scene number four, Afternoon Moon. A fan fiction story based on The Twilight Saga. You see what i did there scene selection instead of table of contents yeah i'm pretty creative i know Um, but you'll notice that for each one i tried to make it pretty clear that it is a work of fan fiction but i am once again just going to make it even more clear i do not own any of these characters do not own any of the original stories these are all fan fiction stories based on the original stories And I'm not making any money off of any of them. So please don't sue me. Thank you. So I had an idea for this episode that I think is going to turn out to be really fun. I'd like to do scene superlatives for each movie that I feature in the episode. If you don't know what a superlative is, think about when you got your yearbook in high school and then there was that page that was like, most likely to blah, 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 or best. Blue bitty blue, you know, like best hair or most likely to be a rocket scientist. Those things. Those are superlatives. So I'm gonna be doing that except for involving scenes in each movie. It'll make more sense as we as we go along. But I'm gonna start with the first one, first movie, which is The Princess Bride. So here are my scene superlatives for this movie. Number one, scene most likely to make my little kid brain go. What the fuck? Rodents of unusual size. I'm sorry. rous Freaky. Weird, freaky, but also I loved them. I, like, I don't know. It's weird. I hated them. I loved them. They're creepy. Was it people running around in those costumes? Like, it had to be, right? Like, was it people? Do we know? Was it people? seen most likely to make me reenact it 200 million times with my best friend <laughs> so um the part where he says as you wish and then rolls down that hill for like an exaggerated amount of time oh my gosh me and my best friend as a kid would do that everywhere any anywhere there was a hill we saw a hill We were as you wishing it down that hill every single time. If you live in Blanding, you know the hills by the parking lot at the high school? I As you wish that hill so many times. So many times. It's embarrassing. Seen most likely to make me wish being sick was cooler than it actually was. I think the concept of the grandpa reading the kid this story all day long. Like it seems so fun. I wanted to do that. I wanted to recreate it, but it would, in real life, it would suck. You don't want someone reading you a story all day long when you're sick. You don't. You want to be in and out of consciousness while Nickelodeon plays in the background. That's what you want. Unemployed in Greenland, a fan fiction story inspired by The Princess Bride, written by M. Black. Fezzik was in desperate need of funds. He had sworn off any criminal deeds or use of his brute strength for nefarious matters. He needed honest work. However, honest work was hard to come by for a lumbering giant like him. He had tried a few odd jobs, but none of them had panned out. McDonald's wasn't the right fit. Literally, he couldn't fit in the kitchen. Not to mention, there wasn't a headset on Earth designed for a skull like his. Besides, even when he held up the microphone to his mouth, nobody could understand what he was saying through the crackled intercom. After that, he thought maybe he would try his luck at a real sit-down restaurant. They made him a busboy. The problem was, though, that all of the tables were too close together. Whenever he was clearing one table, his back end was knocking everything over on the table next to it, or worse, was when he would accidentally bump into a waitress, causing her to spill an entire tray of drinks. Working in retail turned out to be a dead end also. Even the big and tall store wasn't big enough or tall enough for poor Fezzik. So he decided to go back to somewhere familiar a place where things were simpler and physical labor was always needed. They could use a big, strong man like him. Bezik was once again unemployed in Greenland, just as he was when Vizini first found him all those years ago. He hoped this time would yield better results. He first arrived in Nuuk, the largest city in Greenland. Transport to the country had nearly wiped him clean of the small bit of cash he had. He had saved just enough for a hotel room and dinner for the night. In the morning, he would set out to find work as a day laborer, until he had enough money to leave Nuke and head towards his old village. There he hoped to secure a stable job with the fishermen. His first stop was to a meager hotel. As he walked in, the receptionist's eyes widened to take in the full sight of him. Checking in? She questioned anxiously. I'd like to be. Fezzik smiled a large, awkward smile. This only seemed to make the woman more nervous. "'No reservation, then?' "'No.' She surveyed him with her eyes. "'I assume you'll be needing a king room?' "'Please!' Bezek nodded. The receptionist's nails clicked loudly on the keyboard of her desktop computer. Bezek looked around the room. Across the lobby was a counter which appeared to be the breakfast area. The transparent case, which she assumed would normally hold bagels and muffins, was bare because of the late hour in the day. His stomach growled. You're in luck. This brought his attention back to the receptionist, who was smiling feebly. We only have one room available for tonight, and it just so happens to be a king room. Great, I'll take it. How much? Um, her eyes turned back to the screen, and her fingers to the keyboard. After taxes and fees, two hundred seventy and fifty-six cents. Fezzik didn't have near enough money. I'm sorry to have wasted your time, but I don't have enough. The woman's face took a sympathetic yet hopeless turn. Any hotel in Nuke will be the same, if not more. Oh, Fezzik replied, not knowing what else to say. Here, the receptionist said, grabbing a pen from a small cup on the desk and flipping over an empty keycard envelope. Not supposed to advertise for other places, she admitted, while scrawling something on the envelope but try this place. You won't have your own room, but it will be cheaper. She stretched her arm across the desk, and Fezzik took the envelope with his enormous thumb and forefinger. He flipped it over. Nuke City Hostel, he read aloud. Thank you, miss. No problem. Good luck. Fezzik made his way to the address listed on the card. The building was simple, two-toned gray with a peaked roof. He took a small set of stairs leading to the front door, two at a time. "'Hello, how can I help you?' A slim man called from behind the counter as he walked in. "'I'd like a bed, please,' Fezzik replied. The man's eyes examined Fezzik from head to toe before letting out a short sigh. "'Sir, I hope this doesn't offend you, but I don't think we have a bed that you could sleep comfortably in.' "'Well, then, can I pay you to sleep on the floor? I don't mind.' The man laughed, then, realizing the gargantuan figure towering over him wasn't joking, cleared his throat and said, That's against our policy, I'm sorry, but you could pay for two beds and push them together. How much is each bed? $96 plus tax. I'm sorry, I can't pay that. Thank you for your time. You bet. Fezzik's stomach was pleading for food. He resigned to buy himself dinner, since it didn't seem like he would be finding room to stay for the night. He stepped into the first restaurant he found after leaving the hostel. His waitress was a cheery older woman with a high ponytail, revealing grey hairs she tried to cover with an auburn-colored hair dye. How are you this evening? She asked brightly. Honestly, not great. "Why is that? I don't have enough money to get a hotel room for the night. I'm not sure what I will do. Well, that is a predicament. You can say that again. Bezik ordered himself a hearty meal of steak and potatoes. He was spearing the last roasted potato with his fork when the waitress returned to refill his drink. So, I've been thinking about your problem, she admitted, as she tilted the pitcher sideways. You have? Yeah, trying to think up some ways you could make some quick cash. As far as I'm aware... Greenland doesn't have any casinos, Fezzik joked. The waitress smiled. No, but do you have any special skills? Fezzik turned his eyes to the ceiling as he thought this over. Actually, yes. I've been told I'm exceptional at rhyming. Hmm. Not sure what good that'll do, but I'll run it by the cooks and see what they think. She disappeared into the kitchen once again. Before he had polished off the rest of his steak, she returned. I've got it! she exclaimed proudly. Got what? A way to get you some money. Daddy's. Fezzik's face scrunched. But I don't know your father. I can't ask him for money. No, she swatted the air in front of her. It's a bar. And do you know what's happening there tonight? What? Her eyes lit up. A rap battle. Fezzik immediately began shaking his head. No, sorry. I don't fight anymore. Not that kind of battle, you goof! She laughed. You said you can rhyme, right? I can rhyme, but not fight. See? You're doing it already. Rap is music, rhyming music, but you make up the lyrics as you go. Cash prize is 500. Fezzik's eyebrows raised. That would be enough for somewhere to sleep and a ride to the fishing village. He shoved the last bite of steak in his mouth and drowned it with soda. Then he began to rise from the table, wiping his mouth with a napkin as he did so. Point me in the direction of daddy's. After arriving at the bar, registration for the rap battle was as simple as writing his name into a bracket. Good luck, Fezick. the bartender offered. Luckily, Fezick wasn't first in the lineup. He got to watch three other matchups before his own. The concept was simple, in two lines insult the other person by rhyming to music. The bracket was small, he only had to outrhyme three other contestants to win the whole thing. His first opponent was a petite woman donning a hunter green tracksuit and yellow blonde ponytail. (laughs) The beat started, Blondie turned toward him. "'What are you, eight foot two, an escapee from the zoo? "'I've seen elephants smaller than you.' "'She stepped back as the crowd tittered. "'Yes, you're right, I am tall. "'But you wouldn't know that if you weren't so small.' "'This received half-hearted energy from the crowd. "'That's your best? "'Oh, I'm scared. "'Watch out, everyone, Sasquatch came prepared.' "'Again the room buzzed in response to the slight woman.' It was against Fezzik's nature to be mean-spirited, but he knew he had to do better if he didn't want to be out in the cold tonight. Be quiet, girl. I could eat you for a snack. And Richard Simmons called. He wants his outfit back. The crowd laughed and applauded. Fezzik won the round. His next turn was with a scruffy-looking man wearing all black high top sneakers, sweatpants, a hoodie with a logo Fezzik didn't recognize, and topped with a beanie over long, unbrushed hair. Fezzik stepped up to the plate first this time. I know in Greenland you can see the northern lights, but didn't anyone teach you not to wear all black at night? Thanks for the advice, but you ain't my dad. Extra large fashion police in the buttoned up plaid. Fezzik looked down at his shirt. Cars can't see you, but I never claimed to be your father. Just trying to save you from vehicular manslaughter. It wasn't an exact rhyme, but it was the best he could do on the spot. The crowd didn't seem to care about technicalities, though. They cheered, and a few whistled. I'm cool, Gigantor. Don't worry about me getting hit by a car. The unkempt man's last line was a dud, and Fezzik advanced again. In the championship round, the amount of lines allowed per contestant doubled to four. Next to Fezzik on the stage stood a young man, no more than 20. He was short, but had a lean, muscular build. His hair was jet black and swept across his forehead from under a flat-billed baseball cap. Fezzik was sweating, partially because of the bright stage lights, and partially because he was incredibly close to winning, so long as he could stay quick-witted. The 20-something started in on him first. Where'd you wander in here from, old man? Jolly green giant visits Greenland? I'm old and I'm big. Is that all you can say? Your rhymes are the slowest I've heard all day. Fezzik pretended to fake yawn. Oh, you're tired? Go take a nap. Who is it that made you think you could rap? I got the idea from a restaurant waitress. She heard all about my rhyming greatness. Greatness? You're nothing but a reject from the circus or zoo. Fezzik smiled. He knew he had him now. That little tracksuit girl already tried that joke. Better think of something good. You're starting to choke. Fezzik wrapped two enormous hands around his own neck, miming the words. The crowd hooped and hollered. Fine, then a freak show is where you belong. Look, an empty cage for a man that's strong. Strongman, Sasquatch, Gigantor, Elephant. At least I can string together a sentence that's intelligent. Fezzik dropped the mic and the crowd went wild. You're back, the receptionist said as he re-entered the hotel. I'll take that king-size bed now, Fezzik grinned. Here are my scene superlatives for the notebook. Number one scene most likely to make me terrified to become an old person it's the scene where old Allie shifts from not knowing who noah is to realizing who he is and she's like oh Noah!" very cute but terrifying number two worst scene to watch with your parents in the room do i need to tell you i mean i think we all know if you've seen the movie You know, right? Like he he carries her up those stairs, flops her on the bed the way he rips those tights off. So cringy with mom and dad in the room. Number three, scene most likely to make me want to transport back in time. It's the scene where Allie and Lon, her fiance, well, her almost fiance, and her parents are like at this cool party and there's all this cool jazz music everyone's happy everyone's laughing everyone looks amazing I want that I want to go to that party and number four scene that makes me believe that Lon Hammond is the very best character in the entire movie so he comes to Seabrook finds out that Allie is like still in love with Noah and is all confused, and he is just so sweet and nice about it he He literally puts his arm around her and is like, It's normal not to forget about your first love, but then, okay, so he's nice about it, but he's also very clear with what he wants and what he expects, and he's like. I don't want to share you with anybody else. I just think he is such a gem of a character, and he just got the short end of the stick in this movie, which is why I rewrote it for him. You're welcome, Lon. The Soldier, a fan fiction story inspired by The Notebook, written by M. Black. Allie was immersed in the bubbly water of her clawfoot tub. Her wedding veil, which was atop her head, draped over the back of the tub and onto the floor. With her big toe, she pushed the faucet lever on, off, on, off. On a chair next to the bath was propped the reason for her internal strife, a newspaper boasting a large photo of none other than her first love, Noah Calhoun. She had thought she was finished with this. It was just some silly little girl heartbreak she had put behind her the minute Lon Hammond stepped into her life. But then, why was it that during her own wedding proposal, the first thing she thought of was Noah? Did it mean anything? Noah had been nothing but a source of pain for her for years. He didn't care enough about her to even write her. Why should she let him ruin her perfectly happy relationship? She was engaged to be married, for goodness sake. What was this sick hold he had on her? She looked to her left at the photograph of Noah. He looked rough and tired, like life hadn't been good to him. It made Allie sad. A soft knock sounded on the door. Allie? She'd know that voice anywhere. It was long. Yeah? Are you decent? No. But so long as these bubbles stay intact, your innocence will remain preserved. He chuckled through the door. (laughs) Can I come in, then? I heard you fainted. I wanted to check in on you. Sure. Why not? The door opened, and in he stepped, her wounded soldier, wounded no more. You are making assumptions about my innocence that may not be as accurate as you think. He flashed a dazzling smile at her as he crossed the tiled floor. And you are doing the same with me, she thought. Stock naked in nothing but a veil. I do hope this is a preview of our wedding night. Lon picked up the towel and the newspaper from the chair and placed them in his lap as he sat. Now, Miss Allie Hamilton, how do you expect to read the newspaper in the bath without wetting all its pages? Allie smirked. Wasn't reading it. I was brooding over it. Oh? "'Lon said, while flipping up the front page and examining it. "'Was the article about our betrothal less than satisfactory?' "'No, it was wonderful.' "'She decided right then and there that she would be completely honest with Lon. "'It was the bottom half of that page that had me light-headed. "'Lon folded the paper and held the picture of Noah up to his face. "'Did this hairy man building the house offend you somehow?' Allie set the wine glass in her hand on the tiled floor and crossed her arms on the edge of the tub near Lon and rested her chin on top of them. Lon, I haven't been entirely truthful with you. Lon returned the newspaper to his lap. How so? Well, I think you've been led to believe that I... that I've never been with a man before. By been, you mean... you know in. She raised her eyebrows for effect. Lon grinned. I'm following. Well, I have been, very briefly, with him. She tapped a wet finger onto the picture of Noah. His face turned into a watery glob, making him even more pitiful to look at. Allie proceeded to tell Lon everything, the entire story of her short-lived first love. She even confessed her current thoughts. Lon pressed his forehead to hers. Allie, I think you may have believed revealing all of this to me would scare me, but it doesn't. Even the bit about when you asked me to marry you? Well, I will admit that twinges a bit, but it's understandable. It is. You know why Noah has such a hold on you, don't you? Allie didn't answer for a while. No, Lon, I honestly don't. I, I I, should hate him, shouldn't I? Nah, I don't think so. You see, the two of you were so young and you did something for the first time together that, well, it's it's, it's got a lot of emotions tied to it and it can be confusing. Allie looked up to meet his eyes. Are you speaking from experience? Lon nodded. Does that bother you? Allie smiled. No. I assumed as much. I don't particularly care to hear the details, but I assumed as much. Good. Because I still intend to marry you, Allie. Do you still intend to marry me? Yes, of course. Lon leaned forward and placed a soft kiss on Allie's lips. Allie wrapped her arms around the back of Lon's neck, pulling him in for a harder kiss. The newspaper fell to the floor. Water sloshed over the side of the tub, and the photograph of Noah began to disintegrate until there was nothing more than a soggy mess left where he used to be. Next up is one of my personal favorite chick flicks, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Here are the scene superlatives for this movie. Scene most likely to make me fantasize about growing up and being married. The shower scene, you guys. Oh, I love that scene. I still get goosebumps to this day. When I was watching it, again, as research for this, you guys, I literally was like like a little kid, like sitting cross-legged on the floor like as close to the tv as i could when this scene came on i just love it like the whole weekend the cuteness with his family playing the card game bullshit like it's just so cute and then they get splashed with the mud and they go back to the house and ugh, i just love it and and the song that's like something in your eyes Makes me wanna lose myself. I can't sing worth the damn, but like, oh. Anyways, moving on. Scene most likely to make me sorry for Kate Hudson's hair. Uh, so I feel like I I never noticed this as a teenager watching this, or even until now. Like I feel like watching all these movies, I've just really been scrutinizing everything. And I just noticed how friggin damaged Kate Hudson's hair was in this movie. And there's this scene where she's at her office in Composure magazine, and it is just her hair is, oh, my terrible, just frizzle, frazzle, fried, weird, weirdo layers. Like it was bad. Like the blonde is pretty, but like, wow. Did she suffer for it? And now I'm going in the complete opposite direction. And the next one is seen most likely to make me jealous of Kate Hudson's hair. I bet you could guess it. The yellow dress. The sleek, sleek bun. I have been trying to recreate that bun for my entire life and have never managed to do it. I just look like a colonial man if i try to do my hair in that sleek like low bun that she has it in but like oh, the yellow dress the bun when when the the like diamond guy is like so in love with her basically and is like oh you wear the isadora diamond and he gives her like this canary yellow diamond to go with it man there ever was a scene that made me feel ugly for the rest of my life it was that one when i was younger i could not tell you a single problem with this movie i just ate it all up it was perfect i loved it i still love it however now that i'm older and more mature and watching it through the lens of what could i rewrite i do see some issues the most glaring to me and the inspo for this story is the ending andy is this smart Confident woman who wants nothing more than to ditch her shallow writing job at Composure magazine for some real journalism. So, after the entire situation with Ben implodes, she writes an amazing piece about everything that happened in those 10 days and her real raw feelings about Ben. Her boss loves it, tells her she can write whatever she wants now, except for not really. She can't write whatever she wants. She can't write about politics like she wants to. She has to stick to fashion type things and toxic diet culture and clothes and makeup and shoes and all of that crap so andy being the strong woman that she is basically says f you i'm out except for in a way more of a classy lady way but metaphorically she is giving her boss with the lord Farquaad hair the finger enter ben he reads the article realizes he royally messed up then does some really sketchy motorcycle moves all over New York and across a bridge after he finds out that Andy is leaving for an interview for her dream job in Washington, D.C. I mean, he goes as far as to punch the window of her cab. So here's my issue. I get what the writers of this movie were going for. Oh, he loves her so much, and he's so passionate about her that he will do anything to stop her from leaving him. I mean, I fell for it. When I was younger, I was like, stop her, stop her, Ben. Don't let her go to Washington. Here's how I see it now, though. If he truly loved her, he would be rooting for her, right? He would want to see her fulfill her dreams. Even when she, with tears brimming on her lower lids, says, It's the only place I can write what I want, Ben. He's basically like, No, it isn't you, silly girl. You can write wherever. Writing is dumb, so there are writing jobs everywhere. This interview for your dream job is not as important as me. Can't you tell? I just rode my super cool motorcycle out into traffic for you. Where are you going? You're just trying to run away from me. Then Andy's like, I am not running away. So then he calls bullshit because of the whole cute card game at his parents' house. He then proceeds to corner her in between his body and the door of the taxi. And over her head, hands the taxi driver his big wad of strong man cash and tells him to take the ladies, I'm doing air quotes right now, the ladies luggage back to her apartment because she has other modes of transportation. So in a matter of 10 seconds, he has decided and forced upon her the fact that she will not be going to her interview in Washington, D.C., and she will be driving away with him on his motorcycle. He's basically abducting her at this point. And Andy, who up until this point has not disappointed me with her level of fierce independence, completely flips a switch and is like, "Are you calling my bluff?" And then skips away over to the motorcycle, like, "Oh, our love fern! Oh, Benny! Boo, 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 boo!" And roll credits. Such a disappointment to women everywhere. Come on, Andy. He's cute, you love him. The dimples, the hot shower rendezvous at his parents' house, I get it. But you are like one step above Anna from Frozen getting engaged to the villain in the story after meeting him for like 0.2 seconds. Why are you throwing everything away for some dude you tortured for 10 days while he was simultaneously trying to win a bet that he could make you fall in love with him. So I rewrote it, and I am much happier with Ben in this version. And don't worry, I love them as a couple. I wanted them to be together. I kept that part of it intact, so don't stress about that. I know the title is How to Lose a Girl in Washington, D.C., but but I'm just, spoiler, like, they're going to be together. It's going to be fine, but I just made... Ben seem like less of a predator (laughs) while simultaneously still giving Andy the opportunity to go to Washington, do the interview, but, I mean, you'll just see. You'll just see. It's, it'll, it'll be okay. It's, it's gonna be fine. I promise. How to Lose a Girl in Washington, D.C., a fan fiction story inspired by How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, written by M. Black. Washington, Ben declared forlornly to his empty, dark bachelor pad. He was sad, but only for himself, and he deserved this. He slid the limp-looking love fern onto the coffee table and slumped into his couch. Kroll leapt into his lap with the jingle of his collar. Staring down at the feeble little creature, he couldn't help but laugh. You really are the ugliest damn dog I have ever seen. He placed a hand gingerly on Kroll's hairless back. With a shake of his arm and a flip of his wrist, he checked the time. 4.30. Andy was probably halfway there by now. He tangled the fingers of his right hand into his sandy blonde curls, a stress response. Abruptly, he removed the now-sleeping Curl from his lap, who protested with a short whine, Sorry, bud, I gotta find you a babysitter. After about fifteen minutes of stuffing items into a backpack, he scooped Krull into one arm and the love fern into the other. After trotting down the stairs at a brisk pace, he was far too impatient to take the elevator today. He secured the love fern in place on the back of his bike and zipped Krull snugly into the front of his hoodie. The dog's hairy face poked out happily just below Ben's chin. A twenty-minute motorcycle ride through the city placed him at his desired destination, the fake therapist office. He rapped hurriedly on the deep brown wooden door. Andy's friend Michelle was taken aback when she opened the door to find Ben and Kroll in the hallway. Oh, good. The doctor's in. Ben mocked. Benjamin, Michelle uttered feebly. What are you doing here? Ben held out a quivering curl with two hands. You can keep my 300 bucks if you take care of me and Andy's rat baby while I go to Washington, D.C. Michelle took the dog with a puzzled look. Okay, but Ben, what are you going to do? Tell her how I feel and that I'm sorry. This interview's a big deal, Ben. I know, I know, I don't plan on getting in the way. What time is it at? Like to be there when she gets out. 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. With the love fern in hand, Ben caught the six o'clock train from Penn Station to Washington. This put him there around 9 p.m. He found himself a late dinner and a room to spend the night. As he lie in the harsh orange glow of the bedside lamp, flipping through fuzzy stations to find a sports channel, He wondered where Andy was staying and what she was doing. Was she in a hotel room similar to his, running through how she might answer possible interview questions in the morning? His thumb found the power button of the dingy remote, and the TV turned black. He should be practicing too, what was he going to say to her? Maybe it would be best if he just let the words flow naturally once he saw her. Who was he kidding? He was in advertising, if this was going to be the speech, the one that wins her back for hopefully forever. It should be his best work, carefully crafted. Ben fell asleep with a scrawled-on notepad he'd taken from the nightstand drawer on his chest. At 7 a.m., he woke up and reviewed his notes. The harsh light of morning revealed that everything he had written the night before was crap, too kitschy. He shredded the paper and decided to wing it. At 7.30, after a shower, he mulled over a bland continental breakfast in the hotel's lobby. At 8, he entered a coffee shop with his backpack slung over his shoulder and the infamous copy of Composure magazine tucked under his arm. He lounged in a corner booth reading Andy's article about their star-crossed 10-day romance for the third time. She really was a phenomenal writer. At 8.30, he bought flowers from a stand and made the walk towards the building Andy would interview in. He arrived across the street just as she was heading in. She wore a crisp white button-up blouse with a sand-colored pencil skirt. Her light hair was clipped out of her face. She carried herself with confidence and determination. She was beautiful. In her focus, she didn't notice Ben pause on the sidewalk opposite hers. He was relieved. He didn't want to shake her just before her big moment. Once she was inside and he felt it was safe, he crossed the street and waited near the doors Andy had just disappeared through. It wasn't long before she reappeared on the sidewalk in front of the building, this time disheveled. Her hair was undone, and her face was shiny with tears. Ben was a mere ten feet from her, but again, distracted, she didn't notice and began trudging down the sidewalk in the opposite direction. Andy! Ben called after her. She turned, all confusion and defeat. When her eyes registered him, her expression softened. Ben, what are you doing here? I, he paused, knowing that he shouldn't say, came to congratulate you. Wanted to be here when you finished. Well, as I'm sure you can tell, I didn't get the job. Came all the way here for nothing. She slapped her hands on her thighs. And so did you. Sorry you came all the way down here for this. She said, pointing at herself with two hands. Hey, no, I'm glad I'm here. He wanted to wrap her up in his arms, but she seemed hesitant to move from her spot. So he just asked, what happened? Lana, my boss at Composure, called them this morning and told them how unprofessional I am and that she would not recommend hiring me. How could she do that after this? Ben held up the magazine he'd been carrying with him all day. After everything you did for her. You read it? Andy said with barely a whisper. Ben smiled. More than once. I love it. Did you mean it? Everything you said about me? Tears splashed down Andy's cheeks as she nodded her head. Every word. Ben stepped forward and pulled her into a slow kiss. I'm sorry, he said as they parted. For everything. Me too, Andy returned. Ben wiped the leftover tears under Andy's eyes with his thumb. So, what do we got to do to get you a job in this town then, huh? There's got to be some way to get around that old hag, right? Andy smiled, then saddened again. I don't really know that I want to be here anyway. I want to write things that matter, that I'm passionate about, but I love New York. I love the city. I love my friends. I love the Knicks. I love... She trailed off staring at his face apprehensively. Me? <laughs> Is that crazy? Without saying anything, he handed her the bouquet of flowers, which were now crumpled from their embrace. From his backpack, which he had left on the sidewalk just steps behind him, he pulled out the love fern. Not for some kind of mental person like you. So let's talk... Twilight. I saved this one for the end for a reason because I know it's the one you're all waiting for, so I'm making it the finality of this episode. If you follow me on Instagram, you have probably picked up on the fact that I am a recovering Twilight fangirl. (laughs) I also think I mentioned in the last episode that I just recently finished listening to Midnight Sun on audiobook. If you don't know what Midnight Sun is, it is the first Twilight written from Edward's perspective. Let me tell you about the depths of my angsty teen Twilight obsession. Yes, teenager, not middle schooler. I was straight up in high school doing this crap. I moved away to my first year of college still wearing my Jacob shirt. I have pictures, you know, the one you probably had it too. jet black shirt with a photo of Taylor Lautner as Jacob shirtless, obviously, looking over his shoulder, smoldering eyes, prominently displaying his fake tribal tattoo. Let's start with the books. I loved the books. I was obsessed with the books. And like most of you, weird, unrealistic expectations were implanted in my young brain by the books. Anywho, at the time of the Twilight craze, I had this boyfriend. Not my husband, who I also did date in high school. This was before him. Uh, This is the boyfriend that my story from episode one skid marks and the broken bowl is about. So many just stupid, dumb, embarrassing things happened with this boy. Okay, like, oh, my gosh. So my boyfriend's mom (laughs) asks my mom if she can borrow my copy of Twilight. Sounds like no big deal, right? Wrong, because I didn't just read that book, you guys No. I studied it. I took a highlighter to it. And was young, aspiring author McKenna highlighting pieces of the writing that spoke to me? No. You guys know what I was highlighting. All the juicy bits. And now it was in my boyfriend's mom's possession. Not a cool moment to be me. So then the first movie comes out. I had this friend at the time who was much more invested in the Twilight world than I was. She custom designed and ordered Twilight t-shirts for us to wear to the midnight premiere. I remember they had some sort of weird little acronym on them that we had made up. I don't remember what it was. I wish I did and I wish I knew where that shirt was so I could tell you, but you get the point. It was a custom designed Twilight baseball tee with some sort of inside joke acronym screen printed onto it. So there's that. We both paid good money from our jobs working at the patio for that. Uh, The patio is a burger and shake place that I worked at for five years which is where I became friends with this t-shirt designing girl who really just acted as a fan to my Twilight Fire. At one point, she was legitimately planning a trip to Forks, Washington. I don't know if she ever went, but I thought she was the coolest ever, (laughs) and I still do. If you're listening, I love you, and I know I haven't spoken to you in probably 12 years, and I'm not even sure where you live now. but. I will still go on a trip to Washington with you if you wanted to. So the day of the first Twilight Midnight Premiere comes. I've got this shirt, but what I don't have is the ticket. See, back then in the good old days, you couldn't just buy a ticket on your phone or go to the box office a few hours early and expect to get one. No, you had to do the work if you wanted to make it into that midnight premiere and do the work I did. I had my mom check me out of school. Yes, this was mother approved. And I walked my happy little butt up to the sidewalk in front of the theater and put it in a camp chair for the next nine hours. But I was not alone. No, 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 no. It was a gathering. We attracted so much attention that we made it into the local newspaper. Some of you listening may even be in the photo with me. I could go to my parents' house right now, dig through some boxes and find that newspaper clipping. Maybe I will and post it on my Instagram story. If I could go back in time, would I do this again? Absolutely. What a time to be alive. At one point during the nine hours, this friend of mine, well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I should call him friend. This acquaintance of mine. uh, Oh, I hope he doesn't listen to this. I'm retracting. This friend of mine brought his projector (laughs) and set it it up on the sidewalk, like draped a white sheet over the side of his dad's truck. And we watched a different movie. Picture it right outside the theater doors, a makeshift theater full of teenagers pre-gaming for the Twilight premiere. the smell of popcorn and late 2000s teen angst in the air. I mean, it's a moment in time that can never be replicated. So where are we? Let's let's review the highlights. Twilight highlights, if you will. Uh, number one, boyfriend's mom reads my highlighted copy of Twilight. Number two, I spend way too much money on a custom-designed Twilight t-shirt. Number three, I get checked out of school and wait in line to see the premiere for nine whole hours. That's not all, but I'm waiting to give you my favorite Twilight memory in a moment. Here are my scene superlatives for Twilight. This encompasses all four movies in the saga. Number one, scene most likely to make me team Jacob. I was, not in the books, but as far as the movies go, I was team Jacob, obviously, since I had the Jacob shirt that I sported for way too long. Anyway, any scene with a shirt off, really, I mean, I'm not afraid to admit that I was very shallow as a teenager and young adult, but the one that I think most did it for me was the scene in New Moon when... Jacob is in Bella's bedroom and she's like hey why don't we just run away because you know new moon version of Bella is trying to cure her depression with anything risky dangerous and stupid and then Jacob shirtless obviously tells her that he can't just run away but that he would for her if he could and you're gonna find out When we get to the story that this scene also plays heavily into my inspiration for this story. Okay, number two. Scene most likely to trigger my PTSD. So this one um, is like now, current times trigger my PTSD, not as a teenager. Uh, But when I was re-watching these, (laughs) the scene where Bella gives birth to Renezme. Oh. Oh. oh I had my son via Caesarean and it was a very traumatic experience for me. Lots of things went terribly, horribly wrong. He was beautiful and perfect when he came out and nothing was wrong with him. But like I got destroyed. <laughs> and so watching that now after having a child in the manner that I did, like, when they slice her open, like, I think it's Rosalie. Rosalie's like, get him out of there, because she's, like, obsessed about the baby, and she, like, picks up the, the blade or whatever and starts slicing her stomach. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay, number three. Scene most likely to still make me uncomfortable to this day. So... This happens on their honeymoon when they're on the island. I love the island. I like like a lot of the cute, fun stuff they do on the island. I want to go to my own private island. What I absolutely hate is when, like, for some reason, Edward's just naked in the ocean. <laughs> like, like, she goes to get ready or whatever to do the deed, and Edward just goes outside naked, apparently, and then she just walks outside naked with him. I don't know. It's just, like, the way that their bodies are. The way that, like, their body language. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't like it. I do not like it. And one other thing, too. <sighs> Who? Why? I'm just saying. You don't want to do it for the first time in the water like you just don't okay it's just I know it seems like it would make sense but it doesn't make as much sense as you think that it does okay I'm just I'm just giving you that advice okay number four scene with the worst CGI known to man this goes to several scenes any scene featuring Renezme at any age it is awful but especially like baby infant. Well, not like, I don't know. There's this one where she's got like, like, I don't know. Maybe she's like a toddler. She's got this weird, like curly hair and she looks like a demon or like a pumpkin that sat on your porch for too long and is rotting. That's what she looks like. Number five, scene that shook me to my core even though I had read all the books and knew what was going to happen. When um, they're having that big battle and Alice shows up and you think that you're seeing what's actually happening, but it's really just Alice's vision showing what's the guy, Arrow? Is that his name? I don't know. I should know. But the like main head uh, Volturi man, She's showing him what would happen depending on his decisions. But like the way that they film it, they make you think that it's like actually happening in real time. When they freaking, they rip off Carlisle's head, I was just done for. Absolutely done for. I thought that the directors of the movie or the writers of the movie had just like changed everything. I was blown away. Number six, I saved this one for the end because it involves my very favorite Twilight memory about myself, which I think you guys will enjoy. Okay, number six, scene most likely to make me go home and rip my Twilight movie poster off my wall at 3 a.m. So let me explain. I'm finally there. I'm at the midnight premiere. I'm in the theater. I'm sitting next to my friend who's obsessed with Twilight. We're in our Twilight t-shirts. Like, we are We are pumped. The movie starts. We're both sitting next to each other, and we kind of just, like, keep giving each other this look, like, is this for real? Like, are you serious with this? Like, this is this is it? And then it just goes on and, like, before we we just we just start laughing I think we were laughing to hide our pain but like everything was so cringy and not what we expected but the thing that did it the most for me was that scene where Bella is on Edward's back and he calls her a spider monkey I just can't I was so like my my laughter eventually boiled down into anger, and I went home after that premiere, and I went in my room in the middle of the night, and I physically ripped my Twilight movie poster, which I had right above my bed. I slept underneath that every single night. I ripped that thing off of my wall. I was so angry. (laughs) Afternoon Moon a fan fiction story inspired by the Twilight Saga, written by M. Black. Push Beach, February. Her hands rested in the pockets of her hoodie, which was chocolate brown. Jake liked the jacket. It was the color he was fond of. It was the color of her hair, her eyes, and his fur when he phased yet another reason they complimented each other so well. She'd seen it now, the fur that matched her hair, not to mention the ferocious bangs, razor-sharp claws, enormous stature, all of it. The only secret he ever kept from her was secret no more. The stress of hiding had dissolved. He could truly be himself, all of himself, with her now. It felt amazing. It had all just happened, Bella, witnessing him phase and Duke-It-Out-Wolf style with one of his pack brothers. Sam's anger rang in his head. Jacob didn't care. He was only Alpha by default anyway. Jake could reclaim leadership at any time. Most of the pack echoed Sam's opinions, but a few were sympathetic, Leah surprisingly being one of the sympathizers. She wasn't usually Jacob's biggest fan, but if there was one thing she understood, it was unrequited love. What Leah didn't understand, though, was that his plight was nowhere near the same as hers. Sam's romantic feelings for Leah may have been erased the minute he imprinted, but Bella was not indifferent to him in that way. He knew she loved him. It wasn't just the kind of love that a good friend has for another, either. It was undeniable that the friendship between himself and Bella was strong. But that wasn't it. There was no doubt in his mind that she felt the same longing for him that he felt for her. As much as it hurt him, though, he couldn't blame her for denying it. He knew her love for Edward was real, too, even if it disgusted him. The wind ruffled her hair as she furrowed her brows at the ocean. Her jaw was a hard line, and she was digging her sneakers into the dark, wet sand. He imagined her trying to piece together everything she had just learned about the tribe, werewolves, and himself. He smiled in amusement. She's probably just angry that I kill vampires, he thought cynically. This wiped the entertained grin from his face. Damn her and her compassion for monsters. His face softened, as the realization that her acceptance of strange and dangerous beasts applied to him as well. Bella, he said softly, broken from her thought-wrangling trance, she turned away from the waves to meet his gaze. Her expression melted, too. There it was. That compassion. Even after everything you just saw, does your offer still stand? What offer? To run away with me? I thought you said, I know what I said, but I don't care. They don't own me." Bella smiled at her feet, rocking back and forth on her heels. Yeah, she said, making eye contact again. The offer stands. Northern Canada, May, stop following us. Jacob, you need to take her back to Forks. Why? So you can set up permanent stocking residence? Why can't you just let her be happy? Edward threw his head back, quietly laughing to the tall pines overhead. What is it that you think I'm concerned with? Her happiness is exactly why I'm here. You think I'm not good enough for her? I think the fun and games have been exhausted. You think she really wants to be living in a tent like this? In the Canadian wilderness? She hates the cold. Must be why she chose me over you then, Jake commented snidely. When Edward didn't respond, Jake rolled his eyes. Look, she's plenty happy. We have fun. We visit cool places. She gets to hang out in the hammock reading books. And don't worry, I keep her plenty warm. Edward ignored the jab. What about when your money runs out, Jacob? How will you eat? I figure we will cross that bridge when we come to it. Edward shook his head. You don't think she misses Charlie and a hot shower on a regular basis? As a matter of fact, we have a camp shower she uses. I heat up water for her and we set up the portable shower right inside the tent. It's a pretty nice shower although it is made out of material that is pretty thin, doesn't leave much to the imagination. Edward's teeth were bared now. You better be showing her nothing but respect. Relax, I only said that to get a rise out of you. Edward's breath was ragged. Mission accomplished, Jake muttered under his breath. The truth is, she makes me stand outside the tent while she showers, which I do because I'm not some creepy pervert. Just take her home, Jacob. You know it's time. Thanks, but I don't take orders from anyone anymore. I'm a lone wolf. Edward smirked at this. They would welcome you back, you know. If this is a pride thing, swallow it. Rage bubbled in Jake's throat. Don't act like you know me or them bloodsucker. This may be hard to believe, but it's not just Bella's well-being I'm concerned about. Why would you care about me? Because she does. Because although I do not have a beating heart, I do still have the capacity to care for other living beings, you included. This enraged Jacob. Why don't you just fight me for her? Right here. Right now. Edward simply shook his head. Oh, Jacob laughed. (laughs) I see. You know I'm better for her. I know you can give her everything I can't. I know I'm not good for her. That's why I left. But that's just it. You didn't leave. You've been hovering over her like some sort of gross secret babysitter this whole time. Just because I know I'm not good for her doesn't mean I will stop caring for her. Ever. How do I know you won't just show up and try to take her from me one day? Take her? She's a person, not a possession, Jacob. You're treating her like one, like you have some sort of sick claim on her. Edward was still more stone-like than usual. You have my word. I will never interfere with your relationship, but I do expect you to do what is right for Bella. Take her home. In a flash, Edward disappeared into the thick forest. Forks, three weeks later. I still don't fully understand why we are coming home, but I can't deny that I'm happy we are. Bella's sneakers bounced happily on the dash of her own truck, which Jake was driving. I mean, don't get me wrong, that was... Incredible, and just what I needed, but I think any longer may have been too much. Yeah, I'm sure your welcome will be warm. Mine, probably not so much. Jake slung one arm over the steering wheel and gripped the back of his neck with the other. Fire boiled under his skin. Dread over his impending doom was spiking his temperature even more than usual. Bella softly slid her hand into the crook of Jake's elbow, coaxing his arm to straighten and fall between them, where she laced her fingers into his. Billy can't be too mad. You are all set to start senior year in the fall. I've seen to it. And as for the pack, well, it's literally impossible for them not to be warm. Jake smiled and rolled his eyes. Right. All will be forgiven. Leading up to their scandalous runaway, Bella had been careening off on a reckless streak, caused by the emotional turmoil over being abandoned by that Cullen freak. He knew her willingness to disappear with him was the crown on top of her misguided head. However, Jake had to hand it to her for the carefully orchestrated way in which she was able to absolve both of her parents from any worry, while simultaneously keeping not only hers, but his education on track as well. In a matter of a few days before leaving Forks with Jacob, Bella had enrolled the two of them in online public school, convinced Renee to pay for a Wi-Fi hotspot because Charlie's internet is subpar, made Charlie believe she was taking his advice to move to Jacksonville and away from anything Cullen related, forwarded any calls from Renee to Charlie to her own phone, and changed Renee's number in Charlie's cell to her number. Charlie believed she was in Jacksonville. Renee believed she was in forks. She talked to them both on the phone regularly and Jake was surprised by her convincing ability to keep the entire story straight. No graduation for you then? He questioned while lightly running his thumb up and down hers. What do you mean? I'm graduating, you know that. She was offended. This made him laugh. (laughs) I just mean No moving your tassel, throwing your cap up in the air, listening to your annoying friend Jessica give her valedictorian speech. You know I hate all that sort of stuff. Quietly graduating with no fanfare is much more my speed. Besides, trying to re-enroll at Forks High right before the end of my senior year would be a logistical nightmare for me and the teachers. I'll just finish up the online stuff and call it good. Maybe I will go watch Jess give her annoying speech, though." Jacob nodded quietly, not sharing his thoughts with her. This was because they involved Edward, and the two of them had an unspoken pact to never speak of him or any of the Cullens. He knew that a large part of the reasoning behind Edward's departure was to give Bella the opportunity to experience and enjoy human life. He left to make way for milestone moments like high school graduation. Yet it was Jake himself who had a hand in Bella's absence from a major life event. I'm sorry, he gestured, gripping her hand tighter. For? For stealing you away during your senior year? For ruining your graduation? Pull the truck over, Bella instructed. What? Just do it. The old truck meandered to a stop on the shoulder of the road. Jacob. Bella said, taking his face in her hands and turning it towards her, her brown eyes pleading for all of his attention. You saved me. You didn't rob me of anything. She kissed him, finally, for the first time. Jacob's body ignited with sparks of tingling fire. It was similar to the sensation he felt just before phasing, but different. It had all of the passion with none of the anger. Whenever he phased uncontrollably, it felt like every fiber of his being was in a frenzy. He felt that way now, only it was pure euphoria. Jake's arms reached for her and wrapped around the small of her back. He pulled himself closer to her, putting as much strain on the center console as he thought it could handle. It was her who eventually broke away. He could have kept at that for hours. Wow was all he could muster. Yeah, she followed suit. Jacob ran his fingers through her long hair, pulling it all to the front. Kinda wish you would have done that while we were living in a tent together. She punched him in the arm in response, but then said, I wanted to. So did I. Trust me. Why didn't you? Why didn't you? I think... I was just trying to figure out what this was. Me too. Jake couldn't help but smile, until worry overtook him. He needed to be sure. So, does this mean you're choosing me, then? Bella's lashes flipped downward and she smiled at her hands, which she was wringing in her lap. She met his eyes again. I think so i think this is my longest episode to date i hope you enjoyed it and i i hope it was worth the wait i will catch you again in a few weeks for my next episode that's going to happen in december just right before christmas and it is going to be my season finale for season one so be excited and happy holidays bye